Hello and welcome to the Wildlife Matters Christmas Podcast. I'm your host, Nigel Palmer. Today, we bring you a special Christmas episode of the podcast. With winter solstice past and the Yule Log keeping the house warm and Santa is on his way, what better way to spend Christmas Eve than listening to a magical story about wildlife and nature? In this episode, we will first discuss hedgehogs' fascinating role in our folklore and culture. And then, as you grab your favourite Christmas treats and a warm drink and snuggle down, under your cozy blanket and get ready to indulge in a Wildlife Matters original story from times long ago called The Fox and the Puzzle Ball. Enjoy. Hello, and on the Wildlife Matters Christmas special, we're looking at hedgehogs and the vital role that they have played in our culture and in our folklore. We all know that the humble hog is one of our favourite wild animals, but hedgehogs have also played a vital role in our culture through stories and local folklore. From video games such as Sega's Sonic the Hedgehog to characters in Disney Pixar's Toy Story 3 to Sesame Street, hedgehogs have a definite place in our popular culture, including appearances in such literary classics as Beatrix Potter's The Tale of Mrs. Tiggywinkle and Lewis Carroll's Alice in Wonderland. The humble hog has even appeared in a few of Shakespeare's plays. Historically, hedgehogs have been the source of some weird and wonderful folklore and are often depicted as industrious, no-nonsense animals. Today we're going to share some of our favourite hedgehog stories, legends and folklore with you. According to a Bulgarian legend, the sun decided to marry the moon and all of the animals were invited to the wedding. Everyone was in attendance, except for the hedgehog. When the son went to look for him, he found the hedgehog gnawing on a rock. When the son asked what he was doing, the hedgehog explained, I am learning to eat rocks. Once you are married, you will have many sun children, and with so many suns shining in the sky, everything will burn and there will be nothing left to eat. It was then that the sun decided to call off the wedding, saving the world's inhabitants from starvation. There are lots of heaven and earth related stories as well, including myths from Lithuania, Latvia and Romania that claim that God originally mistakenly made earth larger than the heavens. Following a hedgehog's suggestion, though, God squeezed earth, creating mountain ranges, until it was small enough to fit within the heavens. As a reward for its wisdom and cleverness, God gave hedgehog a suit of needles. 
From naturalist historia to 13th century manuscripts, hedgehogs are described as using their spines to impale fruits and then carrying them back to their lairs. But in reality, hedgehogs do not gather or store food for future consumption. Instead, they rely on built-up fat reserves to survive hibernation. Rather than carrying apples as a method of food storage, hedgehogs may use the juice of wild apples to defend against parasites, similar to the anting behavior that's often seen in birds. In European law, hedgehogs were heralded for their alleged dominance against snakes. In ancient Egypt, hedgehog imagery supposedly protected against snake bites, and in more modern legends, they have been rumored to be immune to snake venom. There is some truth in this. If a hedgehog is threatened by a snake, it will curl up, erecting its spines. Snake fangs are shorter than the spines, so the snake can do no harm to the hedgehog and may even wound itself in the process. The hedgehog will then attack the weary or wounded snake by biting it all along its spine until it dies. If a venomous snake bites a hedgehog, however, it is not immune and such a bite can prove fatal. Although they show heightened resistance to low venom doses compared with many similar animals. In folklore, hedgehogs are often associated with good luck, wisdom and magic. In many cultures, hedgehogs are believed to see into the future, so they are often consulted for advice. In Europe, hedgehogs are often seen as benevolent creatures that can help needy humans. Whilst in Asia, hedgehogs are often considered as wise animals that can offer advice and guidance. And in Africa, hedgehogs are sometimes seen as magical creatures who can grant many wishes. The Greeks and the Romans watched hedgehogs knock grapes from the vine and pick them up with their quills, toothpick style. They made hedgehogs a symbol of intelligence, ingenuity and cleverness. The British loved their hedgehogs, being voted their most loved mammal in a BBC poll. There are many regional stories, with some depicting a hedgehog displayed against an autumn-themed backdrop as a nod to the hedgehog's habit of hibernating in fallen leaf piles. Around the UK, people now routinely check for hedgehogs before lighting bonfires to protect them. This modern-day affection for our spiky friends contrasts dramatically with their earlier history, where our ancestors referred to hedgehogs as ugly little things. Some people even believed hedgehogs were malicious, medicine people in disguise. If a hedgehog emerged in February and they saw its shadow, there would be six more weeks of the harsh winter weather. The Romans trusted the hedgehog as a harbinger of spring, much like people see the groundhog in the USA, where the settlers look for an alternative since there were no hedgehogs in the New World. Aristotle seemed to agree with the perceived predictive nature of hedgehogs, saying they could foretell the changing winds. Pliny conjectured 
The creature had two entries to its lair, one in the south and one in the north, blocking the one where the winds come in the heaviest. So, as a spirit guide, Hedgehog corresponds with the north and south cardinal directions, and earth and fire elements, power, stability, will and vigour. Some felt the Earth Mother could be a hedgehog, particularly in Babylon. Here, Aishtar, the goddess of love, had a hedgehog as a sacred animal. Similarly, in Slavic fairy tales, hedgehogs often appear as wise and gentle guides with ancient knowledge and magical powers. Finnish stories say the hedgehog brought soil and sand to the region using its needles to create dry land. And even the Brothers Grimm have a story about the hare and the hedgehog. However, in many local versions, the tortoise appears in place of the hedgehog and the creatures participate in a race. Spoiler alert, the hedgehog wins. The Egyptians strongly allied with the hedgehog, specifically the long-eared hedgehog native to the region. Their spines were worn as amulets for protection, and Egyptian sailing ships pictured on the walls of tombs had hedgehog faces as the figurehead on their hulls, believed to ensure the safe sailing of the soul to its destination. In Central Asia, hedgehogs are associated with the harvest and fertility of farmlands. This may have been because some fables claim hedgehogs provide humankind with the element of fire. If a hedgehog appears in your dreams, it is said to mean you are feeling exposed or misunderstood. If the hedgehog curls up, you have already moved into a position of protection, but perhaps it's unnecessary. It's advised you check to see if you are overreacting. If you meet a hedgehog in your dream, you will soon encounter a new acquaintance who will prove honest and loyal. The colour of the hedgehog can also change the meaning of your dream. For example, a white hedgehog means you must come to peace with yourself for something in your past. It's time to start afresh. Hedgehogs are extremely popular in the UK, but they are in severe decline, particularly in the countryside, where modern farming practices and pesticide use have devastating impacts upon hedgehog numbers. Hedgehogs are faring slightly better in urban areas, though, where many people ensure Hedgehogs can access their gardens and they provide food and water for them. Vehicles are the biggest killers, taking an estimated 200,000 hedgehogs every year. Some villages and towns now display slow down for hedgehogs road signs to help reduce these fatalities. In May each year, the UK celebrates a National Hedgehog Week. It's a time for celebration of these native animals that have been on this planet for around a quarter of a million years, and that is far longer than any humans. And that is why hedgehogs are so important in our folklore and our culture. 
and I hope you've enjoyed Wildlife Matters Brief Guide to Hedgehogs in Folk. And now it's time on the Wildlife Matters podcast to bring you something new and we hope interesting. It's a story we've written ourselves that includes nature, wildlife and folklore. So please sit down and relax and hope you enjoy the story of the fox and the puzzle book. On the top of a hill, surrounded by heathland in the north of the country, was a patch of woodland. And here stood a grand old hall sheltered within a wood. The hall had belonged to the same family for centuries. They had watched the small clutch of farmhouses for their staff grow into a village. Then it was a busy market town. And as the family owned the land at the bottom of the valley, the sloping hills around it and everything that could be seen from the edge of the woods, they had grown wealthy. With the newly found wealth, the family built onto their hall. There were new stories everywhere, complete new wings, a tall and narrow turret with a library for the lord of the manor who was a scholarly man. There were blocks of stables grander than some people's houses for the lady of the manor who loved her horses. By the time our story begins, the hall was a beautiful rambling edifice and even those who lived within its walls were often surprised by its twisting complexities. The Lord and the Lady finally had a daughter late in their lives. But they loved her, they gave her the finest education and they lavished her with gifts. The little girl was clad in silks and had pearls hung from her ears and was allowed to toddle about the great house and do whatever she pleased. When she was still very young, however, her father became very ill and died. Soon after, her mother died, some say from grief. She had lost both her parents before she was old enough to understand where they had gone. The house was hers now, and although her father's steward oversaw her care and management of all the money and property that her family had hoarded over the years, he was still her servant and the servants were hers too. Some felt sorry for the child and wished to fill the emptiness in the little girl's heart with all of the indulgence they could allow her, never denying her anything. Others thought only of when the girl would become a woman and take over her parents' estate and wished to ingratiate themselves in the hope once she had the power, she would reward them handsomely for their years of obsequious service. Whether it came from those with the purest motivations or the most self-serving, the effect was the same. The girl was given everything she desired and her behavior was never checked. As you may have imagined, she grew up into a spoiled, petty young woman. The only virtue that remained to her was her bright and clever mind. 
She had been a bright child and loved learning, so the best scholars had been brought to the house to become her tutors. But while they blessed her with their wisdom and knowledge, she only used her intelligence to hurt those around her. She would set up elaborate traps for the servants, tricking them into breaking any one of very many petty rules. You must never touch the mistress's notebooks, interrupt the mistress, or enter the mistress's chamber without knocking three times and receiving express permission. If the mood took her, she would immediately dismiss them from her household servants left confused and hurt but she felt nothing but amusement despite this she had many friends some were wealthy merchants from the town others were the lords and ladies who would travel from miles around to stay with her but if they remained long in her company then they were as cruel as she for she used her cunning to examine people's characters and decide what it was they felt the most shame over, and then she mocked them for it. Only those who laughed the loudest to see her tormenting a visitor could stay and enjoy her parties. Her beautiful and strange house and the fabulous feasts that she provided she used her horses to hunt. She hunted foxes because she loved to wear their fur on the back of her gloves. But she really liked the tail of the fox, so much so that she had them on her hats, sewn together to make capes and coats of red marked with white, triangular patches of the tips, and wound around the top of her boots. Now, we all know that anyone who hunts or wears fur has a cold heart and an empty head, as fur should only be worn by the animals that it grew on. Back to our story. A handsome young gentleman arrived at the hall one day. She hadn't seen him before and surely would have noticed him, as he was lean but muscular, with a slim face, dark eyes, and the most magnificent head of thick red hair. He dressed so sharply and was clearly a bit of a hunk. He said he was a nobleman from a distant region, but he had heard of her hospitality and the entertainment she offered to her friends and wished to number himself amongst them. Any insult that she may have felt from his impertinence was immediately soothed by his gorgeous clothing and his smooth, ingratiating manners. Not to mention the gifts he bought with him of exotic fruits and wine for her table, skeins of silk and tapestry to hang on the walls and to keep out the cold. She quickly introduced him into her circle and became captivated by his intelligence, charm and wit. It wasn't long before she knew he was the man she wanted to spend the rest of her life with. Each day she would sit at breakfast and just look at him. 
she enjoyed looking at him and she liked to see his red hair that contrasted against the golden oak panelling and the deep, richly coloured clothing gave the whole place a more luxurious air. More than this, though, she liked to talk to him. She had never met anyone who could match her intelligence and speed of wit in conversation. They spent many hours bantering and playing games of strategy, and though she did not like to lose either a game of chess or an argument, when she won, her triumph was more satisfying as she knew they were well matched. One day, the man called Charlie told her it was time for him to go home. She was devastated by the idea that he may want to leave her and ordered him to stay. He smiled and told her that he had an important business to attend to on his estate and could not delay however much he may wish to continue to enjoy her company. She wept and told him he could not leave her, for she loved him, but he just said that he had a family whom he dearly wished to see and whom he missed. At hearing this, she flew into a rage and could not understand how any of his family could be better company than she had been to him. He grew weary of her so his final recourse was to abandon tact and tell her that he wished very much in his heart to be gone. At this, she ordered her servants to bar the doors and told him she would not allow him to leave. Charlie looked at her sadly and he sighed. I have tried hard to help you, but you have no hope. I came here to help you understand that there is more to this world than your own gratification and that has, your selfishness would stop you ever finding true love and happiness. Charlie was the king of the foxes and he came to help her respect all life and the animals and plants we share this planet with. Because she was so selfish and cold, he cursed the house and its inhabitants as he could not help her see anything but her own wants and needs. The current guests at the house were expelled and would forget as soon as they crossed the tree line onto the heath that they were ever at the house and have no memory or recollection whatsoever of the young lady who lived there. Unusually for a fox king, he did not give her servants their pardon. Instead, for their mistake of shaping the girl into such a monster, by their indulgence, he turned them all into mice. Finally, he turned to her and said, I will give you something you want. A large red tail and beautiful red fur, he turned her into a vixen. Fox King told them they would all stay in their form until the young woman learned to love another person and be loved in return. His final curse was to enchant the old hall so that it became an ever-shifting puzzle that was easy to stray into but impossible to leave for anyone 
without the keenest wits who could study and understand its patterns to find the exits. The Fox King knew the Vixen would see and understand the patterns and learn how to escape, but she could not pass. She would have the opportunity to escape only when the hunters sent the foxes over the hillside. She would hear their horn blasting across the heath and know that there was a window of time within which to make her escape, but not without running the risk of being torn to pieces by the hunter's dogs. The years passed into decades and the woodland reclaimed the hall. As more years passed, the windows shattered, allowing the ivy to crawl through and the buddlier grew over the doorstep as the birch and rowan leaned their branches against the doors. An oak grew out of the fireplace in the grand dining hall, spreading its leaves all over the cracked marble tiles and rotting, ornate rugs. At first, the vixen had fed herself on the mice who had once been her servants. However, some of the mice learned how to feed her without becoming dinner themselves. They set up traps to lure in rabbits and weasels for her to catch cultivated birds' nests in the branches that strayed within the house walls and then poached eggs from the nests to present to their mistress. Some were cunning enough to escape. They recognised the window that allowed passage for a few seconds when the moon on its second night of waning lit upon it at three minutes past the eleventh hour or the tunnel from the cellar that only appeared behind the cabinet when the escapees filled that cabinet shelves with bones on a Tuesday but only if they were taken out for every other day of the week. The ones left who couldn't understand the mysterious patterns of the puzzles grew ever more disheartened that they would never leave the puzzle house. Soon, so few of them remained that any suspected of attempting to escape were captured as traitors and presented to their mistress as food. The vixen had no thoughts for anyone but herself and she happily ate her former friends and mice servants. The smartest of the staff soon realised it was safest to pretend to be a real man not to speak and use one's human capacity for reason to hide in ways that ensured that one could live a lifetime without the shifting geography of the house and never come across another animal that used to be human. One early winter evening, a woman strayed in through the rotted front door shortly after the sun had set. She was a healer from the local town, skilled and knowledgeable, she had been staying at a patient's house some miles away, but as she headed for home, a blizzard had whipped across the hilltops and she had become disorientated by the thick snow flurry and lost her way. She had wandered into the woods in search of shelter and, to her surprise, had seen the large, impressive house, abandoned and crumbling with neglect. Now, she had lived in the town her whole life and never heard about the place in the surrounding hills. 
She was too cold and too tired to be disturbed by her discovery though, and stepped inside to sleep under the great oak table in the dining hall upon a drift of old leaves from the tree that grew over the hearth. Upon discovering the intruder at dawn, the vixen was furious. She had always hoped for a human to cross the threshold of the hall one day. It was true, but she had been picturing a traveling nobleman taking shelter with his servants from the storm or a curious adventuring merchant. Someone, in short, that she could love and convinced to love her so that she could break the spell. This, however, was an older woman in a rough woven cloak and the vixen wanted her gone. She snuck up to the older woman and she nipped her little finger on her right hand. The woman sat bolt upright as she woke up and she banged her head upon the underside of the great heavy table. But the woman did not run away. Instead, she stayed where she was and began mumbling in a gentle, consoling voice as she felt in the heavy pack upon her back, then pulled out some food and offered it to the vixen before getting bandages and ointment and she began to calmly dress her wound. The vixen grew more irritated and spoke in a human voice. You made a mistake coming here, she said. Leave this place. The woman, who knew about the world and what powers reside within it, clearly heard a woman's voice come from the mouth of the vixen and thought that she must have strayed into the lair of the fox queen. The woman looked at the vixen and asked that the fox queen let her leave safely. The woman said she would never tell a soul that she had found her lair and she said that she had a son who needed her. The vixen was impatient with the woman's pleas. All she wanted in any case was to have her out of the way. But her ear was caught by the mention of a son. She asked the woman about her son, and the woman seemed to colour, perhaps with regret that she had mentioned her child, or perhaps with shame. Her son was not a child, she explained, for there was no use lying to the queen of the foxes. Her son was almost a grown man. He was healthy and he was fit, but he was naive, entirely without guile, but with a kind and gentle heart and was always willing to help others. The vixen asked her if she thought her son would come to find her if she did not return home when she had told him to expect her. Oh, certainly, said the woman. He will come looking for me, but I can't be sure he will be able to find me. The mother found her doubt in her son unnecessary, though. On this occasion, she wished very much that he had been less capable than he proved himself to be. The next day, the lad arrived, dressed warmly and carrying all the equipment and provisions he would need while searching for his mother. He had set out that morning towards the town where his mother had been staying. He saw her tracks in the snow where her path had diverged into the woods and he followed them. The vixen leapt into the branches of the tree that grew in the old path as he ran into his mother and embraced her. The young man was handsome, 
something pure about him that she would have once read as weakness and mocked, but now she saw as full of potential. The woman whispered to her son that they were in the queen of the fox's home and that he should do as she asked. This was when the vixen emerged and told them that the woman was free to leave, but that the lad must stay. The vixen then left the dining hall as they said their tearful goodbyes. The vixen led the weeping woman to a little door in the scullery, and the vixen bit her paw and placed three blood prints upon it. The door opened. The older woman stepped out onto the heath, and the vixen watched her walk into the distance. Tentatively, she went to place her blooded paw upon the threshold and the door swung violently upon its hinges. The vixen snatched her paw back just before the door slammed closed. A whole week passed before she saw the young lad again. So vast was that old house. When the young lad walked in, the vixen was sitting on the windowsill of the old library in the turret. She liked to sit upon the windowsill amongst the damp and rotting books and look out. On a clear day, she could see the hilltops of the other side of the valley over the tops of the trees. The lad apologised for disturbing her and asked if he could go out into the woods to find something to eat. He said he'd lit a fire under the old stove in the kitchen. And although it had filled the room with smoke and he had had to put through a window to let it out, he thought he could cook something. I promise I won't try and go home, he said. I should think that you won't, said the vixen. If you take one step over the threshold of the woods onto the heath, your mother will die. And so it came to be that the young man began finding and sharing his food with the vixen and soon she told him that she was a prisoner there herself. The lad felt very sorry for the vixen and they spent many nights together in front of the kitchen fire telling each other stories of their earlier lives. He let her curl up under his cloak as until then she had not realised how cold this old house had become until she felt the warmth of his body under the cloak. She did not tell him how she came to be trapped there. She had not told him how she could become a young woman again, but he had worked it out for himself that she had once been a person. The vixen came to realise that, although he lacked common sense and was a little haphazard, setting accidental fires or toppling furniture upon himself in his attempts to make the old hall more habitable, his well-meaning and big heart was a form of intelligence. He perceived emotions that she had not acknowledged that she was feeling, soothed moods in her that she had not begun to understand. The mouse servants were disposed to dislike him, but as the seasons passed, it came to be that there was none of them that he had not helped in some way or provided some kindness to. Eventually, none of them saw any reason not to be his friend. The young man had friends, food, warmth and a purpose, yet he was still sad. Some days the vixen would come across him staring out of the windows with his hand against the glass. 
When she sprung an entryway, never letting him know how she did it to allow him to go out and get food, he would often not return for many days. She thought he must camp in the woods, but she wondered how much of that time he spent standing at the tree line, staring down at the heath into the valley bottom at the rooftops and steeples of his old home. She found herself tempted to tell him ways of leaving the house so that he could steal out without her and perhaps feel more able to go for good. But he thought that his mother would die if he stepped onto the heath. She bought into her lie, wanting to weep with him when they sat by the fire, but vixens don't cry tears. He told her stories about his mother, how much that he missed her and how he hoped that she was happy. The vixen knew deep inside her that she loved him, but that he would never love her if she told him that she had lied to him. The vixen began to lose hope that this man would save her. After all, she loved him now, missed him when he was out in the woods, wanted to trot by his side at all times like a cub when he was at home, asked him questions about himself and found herself genuinely curious as to the answers, felt leaping joy when she made him smile and desolate when she thought him lonely and sad. He seemed to feel the same and had often told her that he would love to see her as a human. She could wish for nothing so dearly. But everything remained the same. The lad seemed to have less and less to say to her. He was a man now, his shoulders at their full breadth and the patches in his beard had all filled out. The vixen thought of the years passing, of the day when she would see the first grey hairs in his beard of his growing old trapped here and could not bear it. The time of the year approached when the vixen knew that the hunts would come to the heathland. She had heard their horns many times, but hadn't found no hope of freedom greater than the risk of death. This time though, she was going to run. There would be more people out in the world, she thought to herself, and if this was not the love that would transform her, perhaps she could find another. She resolved to tell the young man that the spell was broken once she had been free from the house for a day so he could leave and return to his mother. Whether it was from the purest of intentions or the most self-serving, she decided that she must allow him to go. When she told him her plan to secure his freedom and hers, he told her he would like to walk to the edge of the woods with her. I don't need your help to tell me when the coast is clear, she said. My senses are far sharper than yours. I can smell a dog a mile away. Yes, he said, but I would like to see you running away across the heath until I can no longer see you, and then I will know you are free. The day the hunt's horn rang out across the hillside, the two of them left by the kitchen door that only opened every thousandth second. She had recorded her calculations for years. 
there was a gale bending the trees back towards the house and they battled through it, the two of them, the wind whipping around the victim's fur and the hair and beard of the man. They could feel the thundering of the horse's hooves through their feet, but by the time they reached the edge of the woods, there was nothing but battered turf where they had galloped through and their dogs were long gone. The vixen sniffed the air. The cold wind stung her eyes. Goodbye then, she said. And before he could stroke her head or scoop her up and embrace her, she ran out from between the trees, a streak of red across the heathland grass and the heather. The wind had prevented her from smelling the young, inexperienced hound that had peeled off from the pack and run to shelter at the woodland's edge when the hunter passed through. And now that the vixen was downwind of this hound that ran across the heath after her, the young man shouted to warn her, but the wind took his words away. And when she did hear his voice, she stopped and turned and was driven to the ground by the hound that ran into her. Jaws open, strings of saliva trailing from its mouth as it bit hard into her flesh. Without a thought for what he was doing, the man sprinted out from between the trees and towards the two of them as they were rolling and snarling in the heather. When the man arrived, he threw himself into the affray without fear or caution, pulling at the hound until she let go of her grip, her mouth full of bright red fur caught between her teeth before she ran across the heath with her tail between her legs. The vixen did not move. He could see she was severely hurt. She had a deep rip in her side, a bone poking through her leg where the hound's jaws had clamped down upon it. The man knelt down beside her and took off his cloak, wrapped her in it and wept, for he knew that his mother would have been able to save the vixen, but his mother would be dead now as he had put a foot across the boundary of the woodland to protect the vixen. I'm so stupid, he muttered, but the words caught in his throat. He had not even thought for a second when he saw the hound come running. He had thought of nothing but what was in front of him and his legs had carried him over the threshold of the woodland without interference from his mind. His tears fell upon the vixen's face and she blinked away the ones that were stinging her eyes. She knew what she must do. You have not killed your mother, she said. It was a lie I told you to keep you with me. Your mother is still alive. And she paused and looked at him as his eyes clouded up with tears. He did not notice that her amber eyes darkened to deep brown, or that her paws began to lengthen into her hands. Leave me, she told him, go now. He stood up, but instead of walking away, he picked her up. He wrapped her in his cloak and he carried her down the hill. By the time he reached the cottage, sheltered under the town walls where he had lived with his mother, 
The figure wrapped in the blood-stained cloak was that of a young woman with a pointed face and bloodied fingers of her hands ending in sharp little claws instead of nails. A glorious tufted tail hanging limply over his arm. The man's mother was in her house, a little older but no less wiser or skilled. She asked no questions, there would be time for hugs and stories later. She worked quickly, and soon the young woman lay sleeping under warm covers. Her wounds cleaned and bound, and only then did mother and son greet each other and embrace and fill in the hole that each other's absence had left with stories of what they had done with their time apart. The lady, who was in some ways still a vixen, spent weeks at the healer's cottage, and when she regained a little of her strength, she began to speak to them. This is when she told the young man all that she had kept from him, everything that she had been, everything that she had plotted and doubted with him in mind, all of the lies. He listened to it all, and then he looked at the young woman before him, and he forgave her. By the time she was well again, her face was no longer pointed. Her nails were pink and white and oval, but she still had a vixen's tail. I will wear long skirts, she said, trying to hide her sadness that the young man must not love her quite as much as she loved him. He was surprised when he caught her packing for a long journey and she told him that she must leave them and make her way in the world. He told her he loved her and he begged to know why she could not stay with him. The healer joined her son's pleas, for she had grown to love the lady like a daughter and could not understand why she would not want to go into the world alone. The lady wept, for she felt herself torn in two. But she told the two of them her reason and it was the truth. She felt she could not stay, for though she had never been happier here, she had caused the two of them too much suffering and though they wanted her to live with them she felt that she could not stay to be a reminder to them of the pain that she had after all caused when she said this she turned to go but she had taken only a few steps down the road out of town when the man called her to stop and look around she stopped walking, but she could not bring herself to look backwards towards him and the life she wanted that she was walking away from. He ran as fast as he could towards her, and when he arrived, he said, Look, look, please, look what I have. She turned, and she saw him holding his arms in front of him, and in his hands was her luxuriant red tail that had dropped to the floor as she had crossed the threshold. And they lived a simple life in that cottage at the edge of town. He as a forester and she as a teacher in the local school, passing along the education that her long-suffering tutors had instilled in her. And that is a very good place for us to end our Christmas story.
Well, I hope you enjoyed the stories we've shared with you today. It feels a little strange to step out of your comfort zone and explore your own creativity by sharing a story from deep within you in a public medium with so many people that you have yet to meet or get to know. It's also humbling that you have chosen to spend some of your time over the festive period listening to our story, and I can't thank you enough. Wildlife Matters wishes you a happy Christmas, and we will be back on the 3rd of January with a brand new episode. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, or you can always listen via our website, www.wildlife-matters.org. All that remains is for me to wish you a wonderful festive season and a happy and healthy new year. I'm confident it will be a good one and that our wildlife and nature-loving community will grow ever stronger. Our voice will grow ever louder and we will make a real difference for wildlife and nature together in 2024. But for now, this is me, Nigel Palmer, your host, Wildlife Matters, signing off.